0: Good morning. We we took a little deacon's retreat, deacon's and pastor's retreat over the weekend. And so if you see um, a couple of deacons or deacon's wives yawning, um, it's not because of my preaching. But mostly it probably will be. Let me pray for us as we study God's word together. God, thank you so much for time uh, again to worship you through through your word, I worship you through teaching, through preaching, God, <clears throat> worship you through our response. Uh, Lord, we're just looking forward to um, to seeing you at work in our in our heart this morning, and uh, God, we pray that you would uh, stir in us, God, just um, stir in us in a way that uh, that we see who you are. And out of fear and respect for you and all of you, God, we respond to, to your goodness, God, so that we are obedient to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We've been studying for uh, this is our fourth week now on this little series we're calling Influence. And uh, basically, um, what we're talking about how you and I, as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors for Christ, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us as um, Christ's love is compelling us, we're going and we're influencing the world with the gospel. And by the world, we're not just talking about Southeast Asia, but we're also talking about Southeastern New Mexico. Uh, the times that you have to influence others with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus. Let me just remind you, we talked about this the, the first time we met, but the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. He rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. So this is the good news. The good news we're talking about, the gospel we're talking about, is that Christ has completed the work that needs to be done as far as salvation is concerned. He is. He has wiped away or can wipe away all of sin. He has conquered death to give life. And he, he because of his work, because of his complete work, we can rest in him and uh, be ej- eternally rejoicing over that or have eternal joy because of what Christ has done for us. So, as we kind of wrap up this uh, this time, and we look forward to uh forty three forty three days from now christmas being here so so next week we're going to start talking about Christmas every Sunday uh, until we just over talk about it but um but as we end this morning. Uh, Really, My charge to you is this that, that you would understand that as disciples We are sent people We are not a stay people uh, We are sent people It's not our, it's not our role as, as followers of Jesus To sit and stay uh, And to, uh, to, to just wait for the Lord to, uh, to tell us But instead uh, he said Wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you And then you will be my witnesses And, and we believe that when you confess Christ as Lord uh, Decided that you're going to follow him uh, forever That Christ entered your life Through the Holy Spirit and with that you go and you go and you make disciples you go and you represent Christ in every bit of your life so it's not a deciding hey I'm a fisherman and what do I want to do with my life as a fisherman oh I'll go to southeastern Asia and I'll be a fisherman for Jesus but instead it's a as you're going as you're, your whole life is consumed with following Jesus every bit of your life as we sang both those last two songs all of our life all of our heart for him everything that we are is him and as we're going in this relationship with Christ, then we look at the byproducts of life and say, How can I use fishing? Or how can I use my passions? Or how can I use my career? How can I use my, my, uh, my free time? How can I use all those moments to influence others with the gospel? How do I do that? How do I use work as worship? How do I use every moment of my life as a time to, uh, to influence myself and others? with the gospel because we are a sent people we cannot forget that that we are sent people now next week in Sunday school if you use the discussion questions you'll have time to think about uh, the balance between a a church who's inward focused but also outward focused finding a balance in that even with your own life how do you stay inward focused and and really focus in on taking care of your soul but also that you're that you're seeing that you're not just supposed to take care of your soul but you're also supposed to be outwardly focused uh, telling others about the goodness that we know of Jesus Jesus proclaiming his excellencies using our life for his glory not just for for our own glory so I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 we'll wrap up this morning a wrap up talking about Moses even. Uh, we spent three weeks talking about that. Chris last week kind of, uh, filled us in on, on kingdom work outside of, uh, where we are and also reminded us, uh, through, through the parable, reminded us, uh, of the, the rejoicing in heaven that happens over repentance, uh, the, the rejoicing in heaven that happens over when one center repents, uh, the, the rejoicing that happens over lost being saved and how we also need to celebrate that. And as a, as a moment of celebration, I just want to let you know a partnership that we have Uh, on the Navajo Reservation up in north-central New Mexico. We partner with a gentleman named Edison Ramon. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with him. He was here. He spent uh, a Sunday with us here last December. Uh, We support him financially. He's working with a a couple of different churches. He's working with Tinian Baptist Church and also Rincon Marquez Baptist Church, uh, doing work there, preaching uh, funerals, preaching Sundays, uh, shepherding folks. And uh, this this morning, as we're talking now, he's getting to baptize an entire family family an entire family came to know Jesus and he's baptizing this morning he said this is my first people to baptize and so we want to rejoice in that because of what's what's happening uh, there on the on the reservation so be be um be excited about that that's a part of um, the kingdom work that we're we're a part of so as we're thinking about Moses, Moses was called out by God. He, um, he had that burning bush moment. Do you remember this? He had that burning bush moment in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 uh, where God's calling him out, speaking directly to him. Hey, this is what your life is going to be used for. Uh, you're going to repent. You're going to follow me. You're going to. Uh, you're going to. U- I'm going to use you as this ambassador to go and speak for me. Speak my words to the people that they may that they may hear it. And we also we have the same kind of commission from the Lord. Uh, Christ has called us out as disciples, as those following me. As you're going, you're going to be making disciples. Uh, I'm sending you out to go and represent me. And and just think about this. I mean, in terms of like First Baptist Church Lovington, think about all the places that we're represented in the county uh... in the in the county offices uh, in the hospital, in the schools, in the electric company, in hardware stores, uh, in in uh, grocery stores, in uh, you know multi what do we call it, shopping stores, whatever. I mean, we're we're represented uh, in the city. We're represented in all different places, and it's not just First Baptist Church who's represented there, but more importantly, it's Christ who's represented in all those places. Us going, and as we're going, we're making disciples. Think about this just for a moment. Uh, Jesus tells us in in Matthew chapter nine, uh, towards the end of the chapter. verses 36 and 37. uh, He tells us about this harvest that's happening. And how there are few laborers in the harvest. And he's praying. He's saying, "Hey, praise to the Lord of the harvest, that He might send more workers into into the harvest." I think it's interesting. I mean, we have some harvest materials down here as you look upon uh, this table, and you see, you know, what a harvest might look like. Like this is definitely not my garden, okay? I mean, these are too pretty. Uh, but but this is what a harvest might look like. Here's what I think happens <clears throat> in most churches that I've that I've been associated with, or churches that I know about. Uh, we have a lot of really small gardens and really small gardeners. They're working diligently in their garden just to produce enough, enough of a harvest just for themselves. I mean, think about a, a major harvest, like a huge farming production. Like, you know, acres upon acres of watermelon or acres upon acres of corn or acres upon acres of wheat or barley or carrots or cucumbers or whatever the case may be. Well, I mean, The farmer's intention here as he's planting his crop is not just to feed his family but to provide for many. I, mean, I think too often churches are saying, let's, let's just plant a little small garden, let's water it, let's grow it, let's, let's reap the benefits for ourselves. Let's be inward focused, reap the benefits for ourselves, and and then enjoy that. But that's not what a good farmer does. That's not what a good follower of Jesus is about. When we think about Galatians chapter 5, we're talking about producing fruits of the Spirit that producing a fruit of the Spirit is not for your own benefit that you may enjoy this. Oh, I'm producing this fruit of patience. How wonderful. It tastes so good. It tastes so good, and you just enjoy it. And just, You're sitting in a recliner at home or, you're, or your recliner that you borrowed from your brother-in-law, like at my house, and you're sitting in it, and you're just like, man, this patience that I'm producing right now, ah, oh, it just tastes so wonderful. And you just get real fat off of that. You know, like producing this fruit, and you're like, why am I producing this good fruit? Other people should see this. And it, you have that moment like, oh, that's what it, it's not for me. I'm producing this fruit not just for myself, but I'm a sent person, producing this fruit of the Spirit so that God can be glorified in it, proclaiming the excellencies of the Lord so that the Lord can be glorified in that. I mean, the harvest is not just, we're not just sending laborers into the harvest so that we can bring them back into our, ah, it was so wonderful. The harvest was so good, and we just celebrate that ourselves. But the harvest is so that God may be glorified. The workers are going, proclaiming the excellencies, working in the fields, so that the Lord of the harvest might be glorified in that moment. Same with Moses. Same with us today as disciples. God's not called us to sit and stay, but instead he's sending us to go and represent him that he may He may be glorified. So where do you get to go this week? Where do you get to go? I mean, you're here, so obviously you're mobile to some extent. Uh, we've had a number of conversations, so I know that you have a voice you have enough strength and energy to have a voice we, because of the conversations we've had. So I know that the Lord has given you enough strength that you can go and share the excellencies or claim the excellencies of Christ wherever it is that, you're, that you are going. So think about Moses. Again, Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict or proclamation. Verse 24. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know that this is necessarily talking about a maturity moment like, it wasn't necessarily that Moses finally reached an age of maturity that he realized, hey, you know what, like, I, Pharaoh is good and all, and Pharaoh's daughter's been really nice to me, but I've reached this age of maturity that I know that uh, that I, I, I've, I've reached this point where I need to make my own choices, but maybe it is this. Maybe for your own life, just a little side note here, maybe you need to pray and ask God, God, would you mature me in you so that I can be like Moses in this case and deny self? deny things of this world uh, that I can move to this moment where I can uh, in in maturity refuse these things Mandy and I driving back last night from, uh, from the deacon's retreat they didn't eat all the cookies and we had them sitting in between us and I said you better move those things because next thing you know all those will be gone because I'm not mature enough to tell myself to stop somebody else has got to help me somebody's got to hold me accountable and just so you know I'm going to call out her sins she threw them in the back and I had to pick them up off the floor but I'm still going to eat them this afternoon <laughs> <laughs> By faith, when Moses was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's an interesting Greek word here, because it's the same word that Jesus calls us to when He says, "Deny self, take up cross, follow Jesus." It's a refusing of self. So in this case, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I think introspectively for a moment here. When you claim to follow Jesus, or when you confess Christ as Lord, what were you refusing? What were you denying? What were you saying? I'm not, no longer going to be a part of these things. Moses, he refused this great title. He refused this great mansion. He refused this great castle. He, he refused this great inheritance. The cost of following God and Christ in this moment for Moses was huge, huge. Same with the ones that we've been praying for, like Fatih and Aishan, uh, praying for them that they may come to know uh, Christ as Savior. We're asking them to refuse a number of things, refuse family. Refuse life on this earth, maybe. I mean, they're refusing a number of things. We have students, uh, Zach has talked about in our ministry here, uh, that we know of that if they, if they confess Christ, their parents have already told them, you won't be doing that. You won't follow in baptism. We're not going to allow you to do those things. So we're asking them, hey, Jesus is it. And, and it may so happen that if you claim to, if you confess Christ as Lord and you go and tell your family that, like, uh, you may be homeless. So is the church willing to, to bring them on another hand, is the church willing to bring them in or anyone in for, for that matter? By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know that we're doing a lot of refusing as, as believers today. I don't know that we're doing a lot of denying as believers today. Moses refused. He refused to be, be known as Pharaoh's daughter. When he'd grown up, when matured, he had matured, he came to this moment where he could deny self. He could deny the things that he thought were best, or the world might even uh, give counsel to, or the things that are best. He refused that and said, no, I'm going to, and we're going to get to it in verse 25, I'm going to choose something other than this. I mean, being sent means we must be refusing things of this world. Being a sent person means we must be denying self Daily. I mean, that's what a disciple means, that we're taking up a cross, we're denying self, we're following Jesus daily. We're a sent person, and so in that we're saying, I'm refusing this thing or this uh, this uh, action or this inheritance even. I'm going to refuse this, I'm going to deny this, and I'm going I'm to look to something greater. And In verse 25 we see that Moses chose something greater. He says this, uh, the author of Hebrews says, uh, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, why would he choose that? Right? I mean, this is I mean, you're gonna give counsel to this, I know. I mean, if you have this moment today, if young Moses comes to you and he's eighteen or nineteen years old, or if he's forty or fifty years old, and he comes to you and says, Let me just tell you what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about giving up my inheritance, I'm thinking about moving out of the, the castle. I'm thinking about uh, uh, just denying all things uh, related to uh, to the treasures of Egypt that I could have. I'm thinking about just completely doing, uh, selling all these things or just uh, refusing them all and going and living in suffering. I mean, most of us are saying, don't do that. That seems silly. Why, why would you leave this life of blessedness and choose a life of suffering? I mean, how many of you wanted to tell, you know, our missionary last week, like, do you understand what you're saying? Like, do you understand the calling? You want to just kind of give them wise counsel. Are you sure about this? Are you sure that this is a worthy life to do? Are you sure about these things? Are you sure about selling all your possessions? I mean, think about the rich young ruler in Luke 18. You know, I mean, Christ said, sell all your possessions and follow me. And what happened? He walked away sad. He found more value in his earthly possessions and his earthly blessedness than he found in Christ. And I wonder how often we do that as disciples. But we're, we're not able to use our influence. We're not able to use the good news of the gospel even with other people because we're still, we're still treasuring things upon this earth greater than the treasure and wealth of jesus christ moses chose not to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin i mean think about the treasures of egypt people are still traveling there today to go and look at the treasures of egypt i mean these treasures these these historical things that we're looking at i mean egypt this great nation this great power and moses says you know what it's not worth it it's not worth it what was happening in his heart? What was happening in his maturing? What was he seeing that he said was greater? It says verse 25 again, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Chose to be mistreated chose to be mistreated how many of you woke up this morning saying i can't wait to go to church because i'm gonna be mistreated like I, i'm choosing that i can't wait to go to work tomorrow well why, why do you love your job so much i love my job because my boss mistreats me every day it's awesome Like what's wrong with this person they're weird Like what are they drinking or smoking or whatever like what what kind of donut did they have like it's just not it's just not right it doesn't make sense and I think this is what God has called us to, a life that doesn't make earthly sense. Like people just can't understand it. Why would you live this way? Why are you, why are you seeking these things? Why are you going after these things? Why are you pursuing these things instead of the things of the world? And it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing. And I, and I think what, what's crazy about it is many of you could, I mean, you could just right now rise up and say, Matt, you're an idiot for saying these things, for trying to teach us these things, because we know better. Like We know better. Like well, We've lived longer. We know that the, the things of this world are good. I mean, God made them, so they must be good. Well, in the same sense with Moses, why? Why did he, re- why did he get to this moment in maturity that he decided that, that being mistreated with the people of God was greater? And it all comes down to Jesus, actually. But before we talk about Jesus, let's talk a little bit about the fleeting pleasures of sin. When, it, when, when verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, what exactly are we talking about? I mean, what is sin? I mean, are we talking about murder here? Because Moses was a murderer? Are we saying that the, the author of Hebrews is saying, like, he's choosing not to be a murderer anymore? Is this what we're talking about? I mean, some, like, exaggerated sin? If we go back to Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul tells us he kind of gives us a list of Of some sins to think about. I mean, it's not just murder, right? I mean, when we're talking about fleeing from the pleasures of sin, I mean, we're talking about things like, I mean, just like idolatry or strife or jealousy or fits of anger or gossip. I mean, in my own life, let's just talk about gossip. How fun is it to gossip? I mean, Andy and I talk a lot about this. Jokingly, like you guys sharing the gospel, you sharing the gossip. Like, which is it? You know, it's like, what are we a part of? Because, because honestly, like, there are many moments in my life where I'd much rather hear the gossip than the gospel. Because the, the gossip, I mean, sometimes it makes me feel good. Sometimes it makes me feel like, wow, this is good stuff. Tell me more, please tell me more. Man, those people are terrible. I'm so good, and that's the opposite of the gospel. And the gospel is. Matt, you're terrible, and God is good. And so because God is good, he sees your terribleness and he saves you from that. We're talking about fleeing from the fleeting pleasures of sin, rivalries, divisions, envy, drunkenness. I mean, these things that we can label as sin, Moses says, the author of Hebrews says, that he's fleeing away from those those pleasures, the pleasures of those those things. I've had fits of anger anger before that was really I mean, it was pleasuring. I mean, I was just like, man, this is fun to be angry. You know, it's fun to say these things or or whatever. And yet, uh, I look at at the cross. I look at Christ and say, He He's He has to be much greater than the pleasure of this. Look at verse 26. Why would Moses choose this? Well, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to The reward. The reward being Jesus. He considered the reproach of Christ a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ. I mean I mean have you ever just for a moment here, have you ever been embarrassed by someone and you don't really want to hang around them? Like you're embarrassed to be around them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your spouse. Uh, maybe it's a teacher, or a coach that you're. Uh, we we had a coach. who was just kind of like, ah, when we get on the bus, like, can you just tell people like we're not together, even though we have the same, uh, you know, logo on our on our uniform? or can we just pretend like we're not not together? I had friends like that. You know that uh, that I I claim to be friends with them. I've been in churches before. Uh, that you know, I see somebody out in public. I'm like, ah. That person's just so embarrassing, do I even want them to see me and I you know I shy away and then they yell Matt I'm like, no oh, it's not Matt, I promise you, and I walk away from that because I'm embarrassed to be around them. I mean in a sense, this is what this is what Moses is doing. He's saying he would rather he would he he sees as a greater wealth to be associated with the reproach of Christ. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Synonyms for reproach, disgrace. Abuse, blame, blemish, condemnation, contempt, disapproval, discredit, disrepute, a bad rap, reprehension, reproof, scorn, shame, stain, stigma. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment people that you know that are stained, that are that are, uh, that are you know, below reproach, that are a disgrace to be around, that are, that are full of abuse, uh, they're discredit, they have a bad rap, whatever it is, and you say, I want to be with that person. Moses is saying, uh, the author of Hebrews is saying that Moses considered the reproach of Christ as a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The only way that we can be great sent people the only way that we can actually influence people with the truth of the gospel is to consider Jesus the greatest wealth of all. And that no matter what the shame that comes with that, if it so seems that, still, even in the shame of following Jesus, we say that that's a greater wealth than anything else upon this earth. A greater wealth. Moses saw a greater wealth and he said, this greater wealth of Christ is more important than anything else in this world. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. Uh, back in chapter 10 of Hebrews Hebrews 10.35 talks about that That we, uh, we're not going to give up, we're not the people who give up instead we're a people who look forward to the reward, the reward being Jesus we have our eyes fixed on that, again Hebrews 11 here saying we're, we've, we have our eyes fixed to what's, what's the greatest reward, the reward of Jesus, to be sent people doesn't mean to stay and enjoy the, uh, the fleeting pleasures of the things around us, but instead to be sent people means to, to see the greater wealth in Christ and say he is most important. He, he, he can have all of me because he is he is most important. Disciples of Jesus are always looking toward a greater wealth. That greater wealth is Jesus. And then how can we influence others uh, uh, concerning that greater wealth? How can we do that? Christ has sent us out to influence others with the gospel. We must put, we must put our whole life on the table and say all of me for, for all of you because Christ you are because you are worthy. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the, of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Though fear may rise up in you when you decide to radically change your life because of the gospel, because of Christ, it says here, faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." putting your trust and your faith in an invisible God, trusting that He is who He says he is. I mean it's a moment for our own lives today as disciples of Jesus to look at and say, what is it that we've left? What is it that we've left behind? What is it that's different about our life? That Christ is changing us into his likeness, but what does that look like upon even upon this earth? I'm not saying that we need to look at this and say, have you left Egypt? But but what is it that you're holding on to that you're saying uh, this is equally as in, as important as Jesus? Or maybe even slightly better than Jesus at the moment. What is it that we're holding on to? Moses left Egypt. He left the, uh, the wealth of the treasures of Egypt and said, Christ is greater. Even the scorn, even the reproach that Christ may receive is greater than any wealth upon, upon this earth. I think probably you're a lot like me in a sense that, that you often feel restless. You often feel uh, like you know, like this is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, you feel almost caged up. Like you, you reach one goal and you are not satisfied in this goal, and so you, you, you pick another goal and you move to that. And you say, why aren't all these things just, just happening the way they're supposed to? Or, or, reach the goal? Why can't I be content and satisfied in, in these things? I'm just ready to, to move on to the, to the next goal. Well, this is stirring that's inside of us. Uh, this trigger, these triggers of emotion that happen inside of us. It's saying, you'll never be satisfied. Upon things of this earth. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that. That God has put this this whole of this this, uh, longing for eternity in our heart. And with that, we'll never be satisfied with things upon this earth. We can never understand the beginning and the end, is what what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. We'll never be able to understand because we have this longing for eternity in our heart. We won't be satisfied in these emotions. And maybe if that's not you, you know of someone like that. That's never satisfied, it's never content. They may have uh, millions of dollars or no dollars, but they're still, they're not content. They may have great houses or no houses, but they're still, they're not content. They may have everything that you've ever wanted, yet they're still not content. There's still a restlessness in them. And that's where migration has to happen. That's where we come in as influencers with the gospel. And we say, look, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This world is broken. Sin entered. We're separated from God. It's not the way that things are supposed to be. There's a greater wealth, though. There's a greater treasure, and that treasure is Jesus. And so you have to turn your eyes to him, give your life to him, move from where you are to where he is through his power, through his might, because he is the greatest. Caged geese are interesting. Caged migration animals are very interesting. Studies show that at uh, different times of year when we know of migration, they begin to flutter back and forth in the cage. They begin to stir back and forth, trying to migrate. Hey, it's time to migrate. There's something inside of me. There's a stirring inside of me that it's time, that it's time to migrate. They're understanding these, even these migratory animals are understanding this is not the way life is supposed to be. I'm supposed to be on the move. I'm supposed to be on the fly. Like I, I shouldn't be caged up here. I shouldn't be locked up here. This is not the way things are supposed to be. You probably know people like that. Caged up, locked up, restless, going from one place to another, trying to find, uh, find an outlet. Where's the escape? Where's the escape? Where's the escape? How do I get out of this? How do I get out of this uh, tragedy that I'm in? And that's where you step in and say, can I, can I tell you about Christ who will rescue you? Who came down to rescue you? Who went into the cage with you to bring you out of that? He came to rescue you. Quit floating around, quit stirring around and look to, look to Jesus it's interesting this uh uh, researchers have found out uh, more and more about migration animals and they do they have this anxiety this stirring inside of them Uh, it's a cool german word it's called and i said it greatly for you Uh, zug means to move or to migrate and in Ruig means to have anxiety or restlessness how many people do you know that have a restlessness in their life today how many of you have had that I many of you have experienced some sort of anxiety maybe it's not like the anxiety that you're going to a psychiatrist or a counselor or, or even a pastor but but you have this like just this this anxiousness about you this is not the way things are supposed to be and i wonder what we're turning to like how are we battling this how are we fighting against this we just stay in the cage and hope that at one point the zookeeper will finally give us all the things that we need and we'll just be satisfied fat and happy in a cage somewhere or do we see the gospel, the good news of Christ coming down to rescue us out of that anxious moment, out of that cage to free us from that, to give us the life that he desires for us? Numbers chapter 21 is a great little story about these, these that Moses helped rescue, about the Israelites. They say this, number 21, From Mount Hor they set up by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. They had an anxious stirring inside of them. Things are not, still not right. I don't understand what's going on. And the people spoke against God. And they even spoke against Moses, their leader. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Why did you bring us here? What are we doing here? For there's no food and there's no water. And here's their, there's a great complaint. And we loathe this worthless food. So there is food. But they're in a cage. They're in their, they're trapped in their anxious thoughts. They're not looking and sending their eyes upon the the author and perfector of their faith, of the invisible God, but instead they're thinking about their own current circumstance. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and the people did, uh, and they, and they bit the people, and so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, "Guess what? We've sinned." Moses is like, "Yeah, he's a good he's a good uh, pastor." He's like, "I I know. I've been leading you for a while now. I know you sinned. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. So pray to the Lord." that he take away the fiery serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. And in the same way, John chapter 3 tells us, in the same way, the Son of Man, who is Jesus, must be lifted up, like Moses lifted up this fiery serpent pole in the desert, must be lifted up, and all people may look upon him and looking upon him, they may be saved. Their sins may be forgiven. They may be, may be made right but between their relationship between the Lord and the, the sinner. Eugene Peterson says this. We can't even find joy in this. We can't rejoice in this. Because we have this problem of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin or the treasures of this earth instead of, instead of our God. The enormous entertainment industry in America is a sign of the depletion of joy in our culture. Society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an overindulgent meal. But that kind of joy never penetrates our lives. It never changes our basic constitution. The effects are extremely temporary. A few minutes, a few hours, a few days at most. And when we run out of money, the joy trickles away. When we cannot make ourselves joyful, joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or Arranged, Moses is capturing this when he's saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to be mistreated with the people of God because Christ is a greater wealth. I'm going to put my trust in an invisible God because I'm trusting in the truth and I'm receiving what he desires of me. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, but there is something that we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God and not under the dictatorship of our own poor needs. We can decide to live in the environment of a living God and not our own dying selves. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who generously gives and not in our own egos which greedily gab, grab. I mean, This is the story of Moses. Centering his life around a God who is good. Centering, centering his life around a God who is God, who is it, the beginning, the end, everything in between. Centering our life around him and him alone. We have to do that. It's a battle daily. Deny self. Say it's not about me. It's about it's about Christ. It's about God. It's a, it's the fact that He is a greater wealth. He's the greatest wealth I could ever I could ever have. And as a, as a believer, you're on this journey. And maybe it's time even this morning to repent and migrate back to where the Father is and say to just recenter my life upon Him. I mean, it's interesting. I, I've told somebody this already, but. Uh, but on the screen here you have kind of an idea of what geese in flight migrating look like. You've probably seen this in the air at some point in your life, or at least on a, on a TV show. Uh, there's two different names for a group of geese. One is flock. Most of you know that. There's two different names. There's actually three. Sorry, let me clarify. Most of you know that a, a group of geese are called a flock. They're also called a gaggle, okay? That's what we call them when they're on the ground. Hey, there's a flock or a gaggle of geese. But when they're in the air, when they're flying, there's actually, they're actually called something they're called something different. They're called a skein. A skein is like a, a roll of yarn. maybe if you're, if you're working with yarn or quilting or whatever you know about this, a skein of yarn. Uh, what is a skein of yarn? It's a ball of yarn ready to be used. What's a skein of geese? It's a geese on the move. They're going, they're flying. They're not on the ground, captured. They're not on the ground, just a flock. but instead they're on the move. they're ready to be going from place to place. Too long, the church has been a, a flock. Man, I know that that's what we are. We've got a good shepherd. We're a sheep of flock. We're just supposed to be sitting here getting fat and happy, right? Treasuring uh, the blessed life that he's given us. Uh, devouring the fruits that we're producing through the Spirit. That's not what Christ has called us to do. He's called us to be a sent people. He's sending us out to go represent him. To be these people who are using, uh, sharing the gospel, influencing others with the good news of, of Christ because he is the greatest wealth. He's the greatest wealth. You also know this about about geese. When one, when one is wounded, two hang back and help. They leave the flying V for a moment. They go and they hang back and they help those who are wounded. They see that we all need to be on the go, traveling from one place to another. And that traveling, that migrating is to where the Father is. And the only way through that, John 14:6 says, is through Jesus. And so you leave the flying V, you live the this game, you go down and you say, Jesus is it. Jesus is your only hope. You can't be caged up anymore you got this restless society, you're hurt, you're wounded, you're helpless, you're harassed. It's Jesus who will help you. And the church needs to be empowered by that. A longing for eternity in our hearts. And the only way it's going to be filled is with Jesus. The Ancient of Days, the one who is the beginning, the end, and all the in-between. And so as the church, we must be disciples who are sin, who are going, who are influencing others with the gospel. If you're here this morning and you're part of that church, it's time. Lay down on the table, say my life for you, my whole life for you. I feel the stirring, the anxiety inside of me. So Lord, as you're moving in me, continue to push me and move me. Get me out of my comfort zone. Let me see the the, the wealth of Christ greater than anything upon this earth. If you're not part of church, part of God's people, if you've never confessed Christ as Lord, see that you see, see this morning that Christ is it. Let Him rescue you. Quit quit looking for other things and see that He is He is the answer. Let me pray for you. Lord, as we respond to you, as we sing a simple song in response to you, God, as we use our own words through prayer, maybe even as we stand, as we sit, whatever the response posture may be, God, may our hearts be in tune with yours. God, may we respond to you now in a way that's honoring and glorifying to you and to you alone. Help us not to be people uh, as saints who just stay and are her happy and producing fruit and enjoying the the fruit and not seeing a purpose or desire for us that you have for us, but instead challenge us this morning, Lord, that we may be people who understand that you've sent us and you are sending us to represent, proclaim your excellencies, to represent your Son and the good news of Him. God, for those who are wrestling, who have a restlessness inside of them, who are struggling between things of this earth and heavenly things, God, continue to stir inside of them, that they may see Christ as a greater wealth. Move among us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.